0: We're going to continue our studies in the life of David. So if you would, would you open your Bible to our text, which is 1 Samuel chapter 22, it's verses 6 through 23. 1 Samuel 22, verses 6 through 23. The topic we'll find there is this. When King Saul's men refuse to kill the priests, Doeg steps in and murders 85 of them, along with their wives and their children, their infants and their neighbors, and even their livestock. The title of our message this morning, All eggs Go to Hades. Let's have a word of prayer. (laughs) Father, thank you for the Word of God. We appreciate it so much. It's uh, everything to us, Lord, in revealing Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit who indwells us. I pray, Lord, that we would see ourselves in this text, We understand that it's historically accurate, that it's a narrative of things that actually took place between Saul, the first king of Israel, and uh, the priest, Lord. But we want to see ourselves in this text as well, and we know that we can because you said that all these things were written for our learning. There are types and illustrations, precepts and principles, Lord, for us. We want to glean those that are most needful for where we're at right now. And since some of us are at different places in our walk and in our lives, that's going to depend on your Holy Spirit, Lord, to take the word that is read and the words that are spoken and to make personal application of them. For our part, Lord, I pray that we would just be open to hearing from you, that we would... uh, In a sense, Lord, put aside our struggles and our cares, our fears and our worries. Maybe even the things that we feel are blessing us, Lord, just put everything aside to listen to you, to that still small voice of your spirit, encouraging us that your mercies are new every morning, that your love is tender for us, that your grace is sufficient for us. And I pray, Lord, that having been at this place today, we would have drawn closer to Jesus Christ that would see Him a little bit clearer than before we came. We ask this in Jesus' name and all those who agree, said, Amen. Every now and then I'll hear a Bible teacher say, You are invincible until God is finished with you. Reading the Bible, studying its characters, I have to agree. Take, for example, the three friends of Daniel Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who refused to bow to the idol that King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon constructed of himself. The king threatened to kill them by throwing them alive into a burning, fiery furnace that was heated seven times hotter than usual. Here's what they said to him. O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God, whom we serve, He is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace... He will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. They expected imminent deliverance from the fiery furnace, but they said if we're not delivered from it, They were ready for the imminent danger and death. Now, most of you know the end of that story. They were cast into the furnace. The guys that cast them in burned up from the outside of the furnace while they were kept safe inside. And when Nebuchadnezzar looked inside, he didn't see three of them. He saw four of them. And we believe that fourth person was a theophany, an appearance of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament, hanging out with these boys talking to them about his deliverance. They came out of that furnace, didn't even smell like smoke. And so in their case, they were delivered through it safe, but they were ready for the imminent danger of death as well. What an attitude to cultivate. Well, guess what? Guess what? It's the attitude every believer in Jesus Christ ought to cultivate and have all the time. Now, most believers through the centuries have been in imminent danger. Today, most believers in other parts of the world remain in imminent danger. Are we? Well, maybe not in the same way, but it is still incumbent upon us to maintain this attitude. Otherwise, we're going to risk getting soft and growing apathetic. Our passage in 1 Samuel gives us a look at the priests of God. They were in imminent danger of being slaughtered by King Saul. Eighty-five of them were murdered. One of them experienced imminent deliverance. It grips us as an illustration when we remember that the New Testament describes Christians, every one of us who is born again, as God's priests. I'm going to organize my thoughts around two points. Number one, as the Lord's priest, your life is always in imminent danger. And number two, as the Lord's priest, your life is always in imminent deliverance. And so let's take a look, first of all, in verses 6 through 19, at the imminent danger that we're in. Every believer in Jesus Christ is considered a priest. The Apostle Peter wrote and he said in 1 Peter 2, verses 5 and 9, you also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. We thus identify with the priests in our text. Then there are at least three other key characters who we want to put into perspective. Number one, there is a rightful king who is away and awaiting the time for his kingdom to be established. Number two, there is a rejected king whose heart is bent on murder. And number three, there is an outsider who carries out the terrible will of the rejected king. All of that sounds typical. Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, He's the rightful King of kings. He's away, having ascended into heaven, but He is poised to return in His second coming to establish His kingdom on the earth. Meantime, Satan is called the God of this world and the prince of the power of the air. He is the rejected king and his designs are to murder God's people, God's priests. The devil was a murderer, the Bible says, from the beginning. And non-believers are somewhat doeg-like in that they are described in Scripture as being taken captive by Satan to do his will. Thus, we are always in imminent danger while we live. Let's see then what we can learn about facing imminent danger on a day-to-day basis. Verse 6, When Saul heard that David and the men who were with him had been discovered... Saul was staying in Gibeah under a tamarisk tree in Ramah with his spear in his hand and all his servants standing about him. Saul is depicted here as being at a strategic location, spear in hand, army at the ready to attack David whenever and wherever he finds him. Satan's strategies against us are described as fiery darts. They are spear-like. And he too is on the hunt, weapon ready, seeking to murder us. Does that sound extreme? Do I sound paranoid? Well, it's normal. If it sounds extreme or paranoid, then we have forgotten that we are involved in a life or death struggle. Just because we do not face imminent physical persecution yet on a daily basis, it doesn't mean that we are not in imminent spiritual danger. Verse 7 says, Then Saul said to his servants who stood about him, here now, you Benjamites, will the son of Jesse give every one of you fields and vineyards and make you all captains of thousands and captains of hundreds? Now Saul lets his men know that if David becomes king, they will lose both their earthly possessions and their earthly positions. In other words, he appeals to their lusts and to the pride of their life in order to keep them under his authority. He says, hey, you guys, you want to hang out in my kingdom where there is position and possession and power. Sound like anyone you're familiar with? Well, again, it sounds like the devil who also appeals to the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life to keep people bound uh, and uh, not seeking after the things of the Lord. Verse eight. All of you have conspired against me. There is no one who reveals to me that my son has made a covenant with the son of Jesse. Not one of you who is sorry for me or reveals to me that my son has stirred up my servants against me to lie in wait as it is this day. Now, just as an aside, this is a temper tantrum. Uh, this is like a whambulance moment, you know? <laughs> wham, wham, call the you know, I mean, Saul Saul is the king, after all. He none of you and my son he did that. Man, what a wimp. Now, we're going to see in a moment that most of Saul's men, though solidly in his kingdom, nevertheless retain some sense of right and wrong. Likewise, out in the world, not everyone is out to get you. Now, we're talking about the danger of the, in the world, the satanic efforts to destroy you. There's many people who are going to act like Doeg. Not everybody is out to get you, but we should be out to get them, to get them saved. And so regardless what's happening out there, whether the person I'm looking at is doe-egg-like or whether they're kind of a nice person and seem to have their life together and all this, I need to be thinking about where they are eternally. Do they know the Lord? Uh, and, and when my heart is thinking more about eternity, I can break through some of these these strategies of the enemy. They don't seem to get me down so much because there's a greater purpose. Now, among those surrounding Saul was his chief herdsman. We learned from a previous chapter. His name is Doeg. He steps forward. Verse 9, Then answered Doeg, the Edomite, who was set over the servants of Saul and said, I saw the son of Jesse going to Nob, to Ahimelech, the son of Ahithub. And he inquired of the Lord for him, gave him provisions, and gave him the sword of Goliath, the Philistine. Doeg was Mr. Opportunity. This was his big break. He had been in what he thought was the right place at the right time in order to bring this information to Saul and get a leg up on uh, climbing the ladder. Now, dough eggs are everywhere. Everywhere. In our case, we don't always know who they are until they step forward to aid our enemies. You remember when we first encountered Doeg uh, a couple of studies ago, David looked at him and and you could tell that he knew something was up with this guy, Doeg the Edomite. And, And you just you knew that he was bad news out in the world. We don't always understand that about people that we're familiar with, maybe our co-workers or fellow students. But all of a sudden. Uh, one of them might step forward and accuse us of something uh, and become our enemy. We can be sure they are watching us at home and in church and at work and out in the world. Verse 11. So the king sent to call Ahimelech the priest, the son of Ahitub, and all his father's house, the priests who were in Nob, and they all came to the king. Saul summoned the Ahimelech and all of the priests who were serving at that time during that course. Uh, They're at the tabernacle at Nob. This is obviously not a good thing. Uh, Saul, Saul's not doing very well, as we know by now. He's troubled by an evil spirit sent by God. David is no longer around to play his music, to uh, soften that effect. He's trying to murder David. He's tried to murder him before. He's, he's just not really thinking clearly, but he's still the king with a supreme authority in Israel. And, and it's one thing if you're Ahimelech to think, well, the king wants to talk to me. It's another thing for him to call for all the priests. Ahimelech knew that he had helped David. He knew that Doeg had witnessed it. He could put one and one together and conclude that this was not going to be a very, uh, positive meeting. This was a Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego moment for the priests. They were facing imminent danger, and they knew it. Still, they came when summoned, recognizing the authority God had given Saul as king. As the Lord's priests, we must nevertheless recognize the earthly authorities that are over us. They are there by God's permission even those we would rather not submit to. Now, some of you are probably having a very difficult time in some authority structure. Probably, let's say you're at work and the people or the person who's over you, just a terrible individual. And I would agree. If you told me everything about them, I would say they are just... Yeah, you're right. They are a terrible individual. They're just, you know, really putting the screws to you, really tightening things down. That's awful. Uh, probably you don't think you're going to be murdered tomorrow, however. I mean, it's possible. Uh, I, I don't want to be a prophet or anything. I mean, things happen in the workplace. Usually it's the employee coming back and murdering the boss. But, you know, uh, you know these things. But, you know, just in the general scheme of things, you can talk about how terrible you're, you, this person or these people are. You're not really in fear for your life. But you know, And, and this is the situation that Ahimelech found himself in. And, and if, if I'm Ahimelech, I'm saying, I'm not going there. Nothing good can come out of this. Saul's not really even the rightful king. He doesn't have the authority. Oh, wait a minute. He does have the authority. God has left him in that position. And so your problem is with God. And in the meantime, you need to submit to that authority. Now, I think sometimes we don't have more Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego moments because we too quickly get out from under authority that we don't like. We avoid those unpleasant moments. Our brothers and sisters historically in other countries don't have that kind of option they don't have the kind of mobility we have i remember when we were visiting the philippines a lot in the uh, 80s the mid and late 80s when we would go different places i remember this one restaurant in uh, downtown bacolod it was sort of like a denny's which was but you know in the philippines it was a very fancy kind of a restaurant uh, one of our waiters had been there for like 25 years And it's not that there's anything wrong with being a waiter or a waitress, but that was his job and that was the only job he would ever have. And it didn't matter to him how mean or unfair his boss or his working conditions got. He didn't have the option to go to another restaurant because there's 10,000 people who were trying to be the waiter at the next restaurant and 50,000 at the next and all that. And so he, he did. there's no such thing as mobility. There's no such thing really as applying for jobs or, you know, these kinds of things. And so sometimes, although I think it's great, I love being an American. do you love being Americans? Give a shout out. Yes. Amen. I don't want to live anyplace else. I'm not trying to get someplace else. I love it here. But it works against us sometimes as Christians because we forget that we are under God's ultimate authority when we don't like some authority over us in the home or in the church or in the world. We just get out of that situation. We don't even think twice about it. We assume we're not supposed to be there because it's negative. And we, of course, want everything to be positive because that's the way we're wired. I'm not sure if we're really better off for it if it means wiggling out of situations God has designed for us. Verse 12, Saul said, Here now, son of Ahitab. He answered, Here I am, my Lord. Then Saul said to him, Why have you conspired against me, you and the son of Jesse, in that you have given him bread and a sword? You've inquired of God for him that he should rise against me to lie in wait as it is this day. Now, this is an accusation of treason. Make no mistake about it. This is not a question. This is Saul accusing Ahimelech of treason. Satan is described as the accuser of the brethren. Revelation 12.10 You will be accused. Just be sure you are accused for being a Christian and not for anything you've done that is truly blameworthy. Ahimelech aided David in his exile. We have the privilege as priests of aiding Jesus. We do it by serving his servants. For example, we give God's servants the holy bread. Now the bread in the tabernacle spoke of fellowship with God. It was called showbread, meaning the bread of the face, indicating the priests were having fellowship with God, face to face with God as it were. So we would say that our gathering together with the servants of the Lord, our fellowshipping with Christians is a way we have of aiding them uh, in the Lord. Secondly, we give God's servants the sword, which we are told in the New Testament is the sword of the spirit, the word of God. We should be encouraging one another with the word, sharing the word, teaching the word and whatnot. And then finally, we inquire of God, don't we, for God's servants when we pray for them. If I'm accused of something, that's what I want to be accused of, of uh, praying for people, of giving them God's word and of wanting to encourage them in fellowship. I want to be guilty of those things. And if I'm blamed for anything else, I want it to be something false. Verse 14, so Ahimelech answered the king and said, and who among all your servants is as faithful as David, who is the king's son-in-law, who goes at your bidding and is honorable in your house? Did I then begin to inquire of God for him? Far be it from me. Let not the king impute anything to his servant or to any of the house of my father, for your servant knew nothing of all this, little or much. Now, Ahimelech is facing execution, imminent death, and he gives a rather positive testimony of David. Remember that David had lied to him. He could have totally wimped out and exposed David as a liar and as a fraud. Instead, he speaks highly of David. Why? Because he knew that David was God's anointed. Here's a guy, Ahimelech, who can't help but submit to godly authority. It's just part of his DNA, we would say. You look at Saul and you think, no one should have to submit to a guy like that. Ahimelech says, I have to because he is... The king that God has appointed over me. And if God doesn't want him to be king, he'll remove him. And then we look at David who comes in and lies to him in front of Doeg. Uh, absolutely puts him in a place of jeopardy. And now he's called on the carpet for it. And he says, well, I'm going to respect that, too, because David is God's future king. I know that he's the anointed king. Are you crazy? No, I'm just biblical. I just think this is real. I just think that if I'm submitted to God, I must be submitted to his authority. As priests, we're to represent God to men. We do it in our words and by our ways. Thus, it behooves us to give the most positive testimony possible. Each of us is responsible for reviewing our own lives to see if our words and our ways speak highly of the Lord and his grace or if we have wimped out and become too much like the world. verse 16, And the king said, You shall surely die, Ahimelech, you and all your father's house. Then the king said to the guards who stood about him, Turn and kill the priests of the Lord, because their hand also is with David, and because they knew when he fled and did not tell it to me. But the servants of the king would not lift their hands to strike the priests of the Lord. Now your initial reaction is, Good for these guys! Except that in just a moment, they're going to stand by and do absolutely nothing while Doeg carries out Saul's command. So initially, it's like, wow, way to go, servants of Saul. You're not going to, you know, carry out this cruel and evil and unscriptural edict. You're taking a stand. But if Doeg wants to kill him, what's that to me? I wash my hands of that. I didn't do it. And you know what that's teaching us this morning you cannot remain neutral in this cosmic spiritual warfare. If you're a decent, law-abiding, moral non-believer, you're still solidly in the devil's camp. You need to come to Jesus Christ and take a stand for him. There's, there's really ultimately no neutrality. If you don't choose Jesus, you reject Jesus. And so if you're here this morning and you've never really given your life to Jesus Christ, never been born again, If I asked you this morning, are you a Christian and you said something like, well, I'm not sure I I go to church. My parents are Christians. I grew up. I was baptized. I mean, if you can't say, absolutely, I've been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. I was once blind, but now I see I was lost, but now I'm found. Then you're in this neutral position. You're great. I love it that you aren't out murdering people and, you know, that you're for good things and against bad things, that you're a solid citizen. You're the servant of Saul. But that's not enough. It's not enough to get you to heaven. The moral man is not going to get to heaven on his own merit. We all get to heaven the same way by the blood of Jesus Christ. Verse 18. And the king said to Doeg, you turn and kill the priest. So Doeg the Edomite turned and struck the priest and killed on that day 85 men who wore the linen ephod. Also Nob, the city of the priests, he struck with the edge of the sword, both men and women, children and nursing infants, oxen and donkeys and sheep with the edge of the sword. I will say this. When these guys killed people, they they went for it. There were no halfway measures. The devil is a murderer. You cannot bargain with him. You know, there's all these television shows and movies and literature about making deals with the devil. You know, the fiddle guy, you know, Charlie, made a deal with the devil, you know, and stuff. And... Out outplays the devil on his fiddle. And we like to think that you can deal with the devil, right? And so the devil doesn't make any deals. He just kills everybody. He'll destroy everything in your life if you let him, if you give him a foothold. Talking to Christians as well. You'll be saved, but so as by fire. Many of us know the ruin of our life, having gone back into some darkness. Uh, and oh, how great is the ruin of those And so the devil, he just wants to discern. So when you read this, you think, man, this is a complete, utter destruction. Who would do such a thing? The devil would do such a thing. This is what he wants to do to you. It doesn't matter what country you're in. It doesn't matter that we're in America where we have relative freedom still. There's not open physical persecution in the way it is in some other places. This is the devil's design for you. And given an inch, he will take the mile. Now, today, right now, there are doe eggs persecuting and murdering Christians in other parts of the world. You undoubtedly have uh, been made aware of the story coming out of Afghanistan. Uh, I first heard about it yesterday. Ten missionaries, medical missionaries, six of them Americans, four from other countries, uh, murdered, brutally murdered by Taliban as they were in an area of Afghanistan uh, that was dangerous, which made me kind of chuckle, you know as if there are safe areas in Afghanistan. But they went to a place led by the Lord to offer mercy and the uh, medical sense and the gospel of Jesus Christ. They were discovered and murdered. The only one who survived was their driver who began reciting the Koran and begging for his life, saying that he was a Muslim. He was not really with the group. Murdered. Uh, and uh, that's what's happening. It's been happening for centuries. It continues to happen. Uh, one, the, one of the guys, if you're thinking, well... You know, they shouldn't have been there 30 years. He'd been a missionary in Afghanistan, knew what he was doing, knew what he was about, knew where the Lord wanted him. It was his Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego moment where he said to the Lord, uh, the Lord will deliver me. But if not, I'm not going to do uh, anything other than what the Lord wants for me. Now, there are dough eggs here in the United States. They're here in Kings County. They go about murdering you in a different way. They try to destroy your testimony by accusation. You therefore cannot afford to relax your spiritual discipline. The truth is, most of us don't leave the house each day thinking we could die for the sake of Jesus Christ. I mean, you know, if in our more lucid moments we realize that life is but a vapor, it appears for a moment and then it vanishes away. I mean, all of us know somebody who was, who died from our point of view young traffic accident or some illness overtook them a heart attack immediately you know uh, and all that kind of thing uh, so sometimes we think yeah I guess I could die today but we don't normally think we're going to be killed for the sake of Jesus Christ but we should leave the house wanting to die daily to ourself to take up our cross we must remember that we are always in imminent danger as the Lord's followers now in verses 20 through 23 as we close We'll see that as the Lord's priest, your life is always also, at the same time, in imminent deliverance. It could go either way for you. Eighty-five priests were delivered from imminent danger through death. One priest experienced a different kind of deliverance, escaping death to continue serving the Lord. Verse 20. Now, one of the sons of Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub, named Abiathar, escaped and fled after David. Meditate on those last three words. He fled after David. In our case, we should be described as fleeing after the greater son of David, the Lord Jesus Christ. If there is a way of escape, it's always going to be towards Jesus. All of us are facing something today. Could be something physical, either acute or chronic. Could be something financial. It could be something relational. Flee to the Lord and not to the world. Verse 21, Abiathar told David that Saul had killed the Lord's priests. So David said to Abiathar, I knew that day when Doag the Edomite was there that he would surely tell Saul, I have caused the death of all the persons of your father's house. By the way, as an aside, we'll say this again when we get to the David and Bathsheba episode. David is one of the most honest people in the scriptures. Uh, I mean, he does the craziest stuff. You read the life of David, you think this is the man after God's own heart? uh, And it's a real challenge. And then David says, yeah, I caused the death of those people. He's, He's just blatantly, brutally honest. David knew Doeg would tell Saul, but he'd gone forward with his deception anyway. Ahimelech had defended David, and it cost him his life along with the lives of so many others. One lesson we derive is to speak highly, not just of our Lord, but of his other servants. And another way I like to look at this is, is like this. In the end, you and I are going to be judged on what we do and say, not on what others do and say that might seem to give us excuses for lowering God's standards. I would excuse Ahimelech if he were to have said, wait a minute, time out, I didn't know anything about David, what a scoundrel that guy is, spare my life, Saul, because it's not my fault. What I did was not my fault, it was David's fault. But Ahimelech, knowing that, knew that he had done the right thing and he took the high ground and he died for it. And it's a picture to me of when we stand before the Lord and all that's going to matter is what I did. And when I start to say, well, Lord... Uh, that guy, that guy did this and that's why I got mad. That's why I lost my temper. That's why I lied. That's why this. The Lord's going to look around, and, and I'm being facetious, of course, but he's going to say, Gene, I don't see anybody else. What guy? Well, you know, Lord, that guy. You must have it on the tape there somewhere as you're playing this stuff back before me. <sighs> you rewind it was that guy that gal that situation and the lord's going to smile and say no gene you don't understand i sent that guy i sent that gal that was my situation i was interested in what you were going to do i wanted to know if you were going to ahimelech do the ahimelech i got to write that down when i lost my pen anyway uh the ahimelech maneuver man i love it So you didn't like the earlier title. How about that? So anyway, that's the deal. And so we don't want to have excuses for lowering God's standards. We can't afford that. Verse 23, stay with me. Do not fear, for he who seeks my life seeks your life, but with me you shall be safe. Jesus once promised us, his priests, I'm sure you've picked this out of your promise book before, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Well, if you did pick that out, John 15:20, it ends up in the garbage disposal. And you're looking for the one, you know, that says, you know, in my father's house are many mansions. Or say, you know, all the pro- there's very few negative promises in promise boxes. Well, there, there's no negative promises, really, if they're from God. This is a promise. He says they persecuted me. They're going to persecute you. In another place, Jesus said, be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Satan sought Jesus' life. He seeks yours. He wants to murder you. He'll settle for ruining you, for destroying your testimony. In some ways, he's better off if he can ruin you. Because then there's a domino effect where other people's lives are ruined as well. With the Lord, you're safe. However, you need to understand safe In biblical terms, Paul did. And that's why he could say at the end of Romans eight, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? That was Paul's idea of being safe. He says, as it is written, for your sake, we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, not powers, not things present or to come, not height, nor depth, or any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's a safety that Christians understand, amen? That no matter what the world does to you, it's not that you're kept secure in one sense where nothing will ever touch you. It's that whatever happens to you, you are safe in the arms of Jesus. And so like Paul, you can say for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. It's kind of a weird psychology that Christians have, isn't it? I mean, you read about Paul and he says, you know, um, there's a chance I could be killed. And I'm kind of excited about that because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But if he decides to spare my life, I'm kind of excited about that, too, because I can go on serving him and, and do good for him. Maybe another way of putting it is like this. Would you rather be a Himalek or Abiathar? What's a tough question, spiritually speaking? There is a desire to depart and be with Jesus, but there's also an understanding that you're invincible until he is through with you. The reality is, you are one of those two guys all the time. That's the mentality that we should have. Every day, every minute of every day, I am either a Himelech or Abiathar. Either I'm going to be delivered through my situation or I'm going to die for my walk with the Lord. Those are the only two real biblical solutions. Now, we're creative and we find third ways we identify with other people. We don't, we don't like that. But the Lord says, no, these are, these are important moments. It's not just Daniel. It's not, that, not just Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's not just Ahimelech. It's not just Abiathar. It's not just these guys in the Bible. You are these people. The book of Acts doesn't really end, remember, because it keeps going. It's the acts of the Holy Spirit in the church age. And you and I are writing our own chapters, as it were. And every day we go out into the world and this ought to be our attitude, not in a morbid way, not in a paranoid way, but we have a real enemy who wants to murder us or destroy us. And we want to say, well, Lord, uh, I'm going to stand. And if I'm Ahimelech, so be it. If I'm Abiathar, so be it. Because I only live to look into your wonderful face and to thank you for saving me. And if you want to reward me, Lord, then that'll just be icing on the cake. Father, we do thank you for these things. These men are heroes of the faith. And we appreciate, Lord, the stand that they were enabled and empowered to take by the Holy Spirit. Fearless men because they feared only you. I pray, Lord, that Ahimelech would be more important to us than perhaps he's been in the past. That we would appreciate his submission to your authority by submitting to the authority you had placed over him. And that in the back of our minds, in our heart of hearts, we'd remember that, Lord, when we're struggling under some authority in this world. And that we would, uh, Lord, just do what Ahimelech did, serving you by serving your servants. And that whatever happens to us, Lord, we would be able to praise you and thank you. Bless you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's stand together.